You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Let's start in Proverbs chapter 10. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes out about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Relationships are messy. Do you agree? Yeah. They can be very difficult, but they're even more important as a result of all the messiness they're in. We, are, we say at Thrive that relationships are everything. That was one of our taglines at the beginning, and we're here for you to thrive in your relationship with Jesus Christ and others. And we're here to bless and disciple people along those lines. That's what we're all about because that's what life is about. But it's difficult and it can be tough. Uh, We were made to be in relationships in our marriages, in our families, with friends, with neighbors, and as a community. And yet, boy, there are so many ways things get divided up, chopped up, and difficult in life. And a wise person understands both the necessity and the need for relationships as well as how difficult they can be. And so we're going to explore these three points from the Proverbs that we have listed. The fact that a wise person knows the need for relationship repair, how to repair those relationships, and why, in the first place, relationships can be repaired. But first, we start with the need. (coughs) I think it's kind of evident, self-evident. I'm not actually telling you anything you don't know. Um, I'm just kind of describing the way things are and then kind of we're going to kind of take away some of the layers to understand why it's difficult and and why we have this need. Um, Anne Lamont puts it this way. Everyone is screwed up, broken, clingy, and scared. Even the people who seem to have it more or less together, they are much more like you than you would believe. Do you agree with that statement? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's, and that includes the person up here in front of you right now. Sometimes it's very difficult to preach, not because um, I don't like to get in front of people, if you can't tell. I have no problem with that. But um, sometimes sermons are a lot like, whoa, this is like really impacting me. This is kind of tough to preach because like I feel very awkward talking to you about something that I'm also struggling with, right? But that's the way it is. It's kind of supposed to be that way. You, we don't find heroes in the Bible outside of Jesus. <laughs> Everybody else is pretty well like Anne Lamont says. 
And if you read the Bible with that understanding, and then you can see Moses and Abraham and Deborah and Barak and you name it, Peter and, you know, all of those characters, boy, they're just like us. And we're just like them. In fact, our next sermon series is going to be on that, the story of us, um, which is about all these different biblical characters and how we are just like them. Okay? But right now, um, Proverbs puts it this way. And this might seem a little odd, but let me explain this proverb after um, I share it. It's the first one we read. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Um, concealing hatred. You might think, oh, hatred? I don't have hatred. Well, the Bible doesn't really use the word hatred for just, you know, that volcanic rage that we can see on our, all of our highways these days, <laughs> um, or that volcanic rage we can see coming across on social media or um, in all sorts of situations. That hatred here in Proverbs is just having ill will towards somebody else. That's all it is. Proverbs is saying hatred is often disguised. Ill will kind of hides behind. Anger doesn't come across as anger. We don't look angry when we have it. Um, I conceal my anger often from myself as well as everyone else because I don't want to really call it what it is. And I feel some sat So how do I know I have it? When I feel some satisfaction when somebody else is going through a tough time. There's a German phrase, uh, you might have heard it before, schadenfreude. Have you ever heard of it? Germans make up these wonderful little phrases. Um, it means being happy when somebody else is sad. <laughs> Aww. It's kind of that southern version of bless your heart. <laughs> we know how that works, right? Yeah. And so um, when I, uh, I kind of say, boy, they need to learn a lesson, Ooh, there's some ill will there. Uh, when I get satisfied when somebody gets their comeuppance, you know, um, the, boy, when I start to feel good when they feel bad, that's what's going on in this proverb. And it warns us about that. It also warns us elsewhere in Proverbs 24, don't rejoice when your enemy fails and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. So any hatred that comes across actually is not simply ill will and at the moment, but what it does is it actually destroys human community. That's what Proverbs is getting at. So in Proverbs 16, it says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friend. And here, um, the whole idea of dishonesty and whisperer or what you might call slander is not in the Pro book of Proverbs, it's not saying something um, false about somebody. It's saying something in a negative way about somebody. Do you understand what I mean by that? You can speak the truth, but it can also be spoken in such a way that it actually diminishes the other person in the eyes of that third party. And it's so easy to do. And that's kind of what Proverbs is saying is the need 
for us to repair relationships because it's so easy to mess things up by how we speak about other people to third parties. You understand how that works? Uh, probably too well, just like I do. You know, counselors and family therapists, so maybe this would have been a good one for you, Carl, to, to, to do. Um, uh, <coughs> they talk about this as triangulation. You know, it's basically when uh, Jeremy tells Sally about what Chris said to him and how it offended him. Do you know how that works, right? You know, so-and-so did this to, I cannot believe, and, and then it just goes on. So Sally then affirms, you know, Jeremy, oh, I feel so bad for you. Yeah, Chris was really, I can't believe he did that. And gossip is not just saying some words. It's really destroying relationships in the process. So when you hear somebody gossiping, it's amazing. Slander, gossip, ill will in any form. You are seeing relationships destroyed at that point in time. And so that's why Proverbs 25 says, what your eyes have seen do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself. So talk, if there is a conflict, do you have conflicts with people? Of course you do. I do. But the best thing to do with them is not to talk to third parties about them. Actually, that's just going to keep the conflict going. It's coming to the person that you're struggling with and having an open and vulnerable conversation about it. Because what I find is when I talk to other people about other people, <laughs> I'm not looking to solve anything. And I'm not looking for the truth. What I'm looking for is a vote. That is, I'm right, right? I'm right, right? Yeah, I'm right. Yeah. We're seeking to justify ourselves. Now, can you recall any times you've done this? I heard a laugh, so that probably means I don't want to count how many times I've done this. And I get it. It happens in families, among friends, at the workplace, you know, the water cooler, you know, the, the typical thing. But maybe in church, especially in churches. And it's so, I've seen it over 35 years of pastoral ministry, how often this takes place and how easy it is to fall into it and how destructive it can be. And you might not even realize what you're doing with this. So I know this is a pretty heavy subject on Mother's Day, but moms, you've probably faced this more than anyone else. You've seen how your kids don't necessarily get along with each other, or <clears throat> relationships in the family or the relatives can really break down easily over simple things, misunderstandings often, things that could have been overlooked but somehow became offensive, and therefore, it wasn't necessarily the conflict that caused the biggest problem, it was the reaction to the conflict and the way it was handled after that. You know, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. That was said of Watergate, and actually you can go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. 
It was the cover-up. Fig leaves. Not necessarily the crime. God could have solved that crime pretty quick. But it was the avoidance. It was the triangulation that you see starting in the garden and continuing. So we see a need, but now um, how do we repair these things, these relationships? And a wise person understands it happens. Okay, it's, it happens. Uh, don't be surprised when some of your best friends some of your family within any relationship this happens that there is um, an issue and it's not handled well by you or by somebody else. Don't be shocked at it because, you know, as Anne Lamont said, we're broken, messed up people. So how do we repair it? And I think to begin to answer the question how to repair relationships, I want to ask another question. And that is, what is the soil in which the seed of ill will grows? Do you understand? It doesn't, ill will doesn't just happen in an isolation. Proverbs 11 says this, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit... now. The word belittle, I think, betrays what's going on, what's the soil that ill will gets in. When I belittle somebody, what's my relationship like to that person? Not good, but I feel superior to them, right? They're less than. You know, and um, you cannot stay angry at someone, by the way, for long unless you think you're superior to them. You know, it's when you look at someone and say, I cannot believe they did that. I would never do that. Then you can stay angry a lot longer. But if you look at them and go like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that, but I could have done that too. You can't stay angry quite as long. It's amazing, isn't it? So it's that attitude of superiority over someone. And that's why the Arbinger Institute, in their book, The Anatomy of Peace, says seeing an equal person as an inferior object is an act of violence. You know, as I think we all have said, or I've heard it said many times, the, level is, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is nobody better or less. We're all the same, but boy, it's so easy to claim a superior attitude over another person. And that's basically what uh, a, a wise person understands, that in the Bible, through the whole narrative of the Bible, the Bible is saying the biggest problem is not the actual crime, but the cover-up. It's not the actual first deed, but it's the reaction to it and the response to it and how we then try to justify ourselves. The Biggest problem is the fact that we all like trying to be that superior one playing God in any search. More even, just as much as the devil likes to play God, we do too. And in fact, it started, like I said, in the Garden of Eden. It continued to the Tower of Babel and went on to the priesthood and the temple and kings and others, and it is present today from TikTok to YouTube, Madison Avenue to Pennsylvania Avenue, Hollywood, Wall Street, you name it. 
We all want to one-up each other. And it's that superiority attitude that causes such problems. Putting ourselves in the place of God, and yet at the same time, a wise person realizes when we do it, we don't do it well. I can't play God well. It's above my pay grade. I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the compassion, I don't have the capability, and so I actually feel somewhat insecure when I am in a, quote, superior position to someone else because I realize how easily I could fall into it. And so though we want to be in total control of things and tell everyone what to do, when to do it, and how, it is so difficult for us to maintain that position with any integrity. And so when somebody does truly flub up around us, Instead of seeing ourselves in that situation as well and having compassion and, and understanding our culpability, we jump to that superiority dance. We condemn, we judge, we ridicule, we banish, we cut them off, we cancel, we ostracize. As the Arbinger Institute says, I begin to horribleize others. That is, I begin to make them out to be worse than they really are, and I do this because the worse they are, the more justified I feel. That is the soil in which ill will grows, superiority. So how do we overcome this? The simple answer the Bible offers ain't so simple to do. First Peter says it this way, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. It's not that you're ignoring the sins, but you love them more than anything they've done and you realize that, but boy, is that tough, right? In the book, The Hate You Give, Angie Thomas says, at an early age, I learned that people make mistakes and you have to decide if their mistakes are bigger than your love for them. You tell me when you're angry with someone. You tell me when you are ready to tell a third party about how terrible or how horrible or how this or that, which is more important? Your anger or your love for them? And each time you step back from that precipice, that cliff of jumping off into a hole, you know, you, you know, each time you step back and say, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to remain silent, I'm going to overlook, I'm going to let go, it's tough. It's actually a sacrifice. It hurts. Exactly. Because any offense that is done in this world, whether I do it or you do it, takes a sacrifice to overcome and so we start to realize, I think, that the only way, actually, the only way it's ever going to work is to know that it's not me doing it. I cannot actually do what Proverbs says. My anger will get the best of me. My ill will towards other, my being offended, my feeling of superiority, it's there. And yet, when I can see that little offense in the light of God's forgiveness and grace, I start to understand how it can be overcome.
and why relationships actually can be prepared. You know, I'm amazed. I, I've never got... Few people have probably faced what Corrie ten Boom has faced in her life. She has passed away a number of years ago. She was... Um, my wife and daughter got to go to her home in Harlem, which is in um, Amsterdam, a suburb of Amsterdam. And during World War II, her family, being a Christian family, decided to hide uh, Jewish people in their home. Uh, behind, <laughs> I, it's amazing. It's just like you cannot believe this false wall in a closet and how it ever even happened. And as a result, um, they were arrested. And Corrie ten Boom... Um, went into a concentration camp, and her sister and her father, and she saw her father and her sister die, and she suffered more at the hands of other people than could possibly, I could ever really imagine. And so after World War II, Corrie ten Boom wrote this book called The Hiding Place about this encounter, and she also went and started to speak about her, uh, her faith and her God who could heal and bring forgiveness to very difficult situations. And it's easy to do in the abstract. It's much harder to do in the specifics. And that's why her story that um, I'm going to read just a section of is so potent and powerful about how to and why you can repair relationships. She writes, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man, who had stood guard at the shower door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since the time, and suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy, her sister, pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand thrust out to shake mine and I, who preach so often to people in Blumendahl that the need for, to forgive kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As soon as his hand, as soon as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. My shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And as soon as I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. And he tells us to love our enemies. He gives along with that command the love itself. That's the why you can repair relationships because Jesus, through his wounds, through his wounds, brings healing. He was wounded and bruised for your iniquities. And by his death, you are healed. It's not through his power. It's not through his truth. It's not through his presence, but through his own woundedness. 
And it is through our woundedness and our vulnerabilities that relationships actually grow. They do not grow from strength to strength or from me taking a position of power over someone else. That only alienates people all the more. Jesus brought reconciliation to this world not by telling this world what was wrong with this world, not by condemning and judging this world, not by speaking any just word of truth over this world, but through his sacrifice, through his love, through his own vulnerability. The God who is in need of nothing decided he needed, he chose, even though he did not need to do anything, he chose to be needed, he chose to feel the pain and the hurt and the alienation of all our relationships, all because he loves us so much he wants us so close. You know what's amazing to me is to this day now, though Jesus knows everything about me and about you, and though the Father knows all, when they speak to one another, when they speak your name, when Jesus advocates for you, he never brings those things up. He doesn't play the position of superiority at all. That's why um, it was Paul Maxwell who wrote, gossip is the opposite of how the son speaks to the father about you. It would actually be good for you to overhear what Jesus says about you to the father. Do you understand what I mean? What he says about you what he knows of you and what he says over you, how he chooses to say, hey, this is one of mine. Oh, yeah. All he can say is good. All he knows is great. All he can speak is love. And he advocates for you. And the Spirit intercedes for you. And the Father has loved you with an everlasting love. In fact, in John 17, Jesus says the same love that the Father has for him, the Son, is the same love he has for you. That you sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Isn't that amazing? God has no more love, according to this, for his perfect Son than he has for you. That's how the Trinity talks behind your back. <laughs> you know, the real question, I guess, today, and this is a question I don't remember. Some child, I think, mentioned it this way. I know a friend. A friend is someone whom I know my name is safe in their mouth. Do you understand what I mean by that? No matter where they are, they're going to talk about me in a way that is safe. Your name is glorified in the mouth of Jesus. And Christian fellowship, when it is in reflection of the Father's love for us and the Son's love for us and the Spirit's love and intercession for us, your name is safe in my mouth and my name is safe in yours. That's what the uh, Greek word koinonia actually is all about. Koinonia, it's where we get the word communion from. It actually, in 2018, this was the Scripps spelling bee, last word 
the person one in spelling this name right, this word right. Not in Greek, but in English. It's basically just transliterated from this Greek into English, but you can see why it might be a tough word to spell. And yet what it really is meaning is in the New Testament, koinonia is the fellowship that we have with each other because we have this fellowship with God that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have had this kind of koinonia fellowship since the beginning of before the world was created now welcomes us into that intimate fellowship and that's what we're going to experience someday in eternity. Isn't that amazing? This is what heals and repairs relationships. And I have a feeling, just like I know uh, among some of my relatives, there's still some real tough situations that have happened over time. You might feel some agony right now at a relationship that isn't quite there yet. And you're trying, and you're praying, and you're hoping One day it will be. According to this word, God who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. You are the workmanship of God, and he will bring it full to completion, not just you, but all of us together. And maybe we have some work to do here. It will one day be completed, and we will be glorified and glorious and glorifying others. That's what amazes me about it all. So the wise follow this path. It's the path of the Lamb of God who walks the way of the servant, who didn't walk the way of dictator or power player, but who gave his life and loved completely. And Jesus, through the path of suffering and crucifixion, and an empty tomb and resurrection, that's the path that is so not taken in this life. And yet that is the path of relationship repair. And in a society that often is just playing power games in one form or another, this path makes all the difference for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time together. And um, Lord, we pray that you would be working. Um, we pray and ask you to bless all the mothers who are present here with us and our mothers wherever they happen to be, Lord God. You have shown us so much, so much love, so much sacrifice through them. And any sacrifice they have done, any love that they have shown is just a reflection of your goodness and mercy, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you how they have worked through trying to repair relationships again and again. We pray that you would make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us bring your love. Where there is darkness, your light, Lord. We pray that you would keep working in us. Grow us into that way of wisdom, Lord Jesus. And as we now approach, Lord, um, to uh, give our offerings this day and also to receive Holy Communion, <laughs> we know, Lord, we are those who cannot uh, you know, claim to be without sin. We'd only deceive ourselves, not you or anyone else. Truth would not be in us. We confess instead our sin, Lord, and you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord God, that you would also 
um, move us to reconcile where we can, to love, to speak words of peace, of truth, to not just overlook, but Lord, to work through whatever issues because we love people so much. Lord God, we need you to do that, that we would be those types of instruments, your people in these situations. Heavenly Father, um, prepare us to receive the great gift of your son, Jesus. As he gives himself, Lord, in the Lord's Supper, we pray that his character, his mind, his attitude would be ours, that we would be servants in response to his service to us, Lord, that we would be uh, people that would be peacemakers as he has made peace between us and you, O oh Lord God. So bless us for all these reasons. We lift up to you today too, Lord, those who are traveling. We pray that you'd keep them safe. We lift up to you as well, Lord God, that you would um, be with Hank as he is healing from surgery. For all those in our congregation who need your healing touch, we rejoice, O oh Lord, with Kai and the response uh, and his continued healing after uh, brain surgery, Lord God. We just bless you for that. And bless the rest of our day, O oh Lord. May it be a day of deepening relationships, of love, of honoring our mothers, of being the family that you've made us. All this we pray in your precious name. Amen.